Zechariah chapter 11. It's so fun to get back into the book of Zechariah. And of course, boy, we've spent a bunch of time getting up to this point. But this is, we are entering this week into stuff that is just unbelievable. We have a supernatural Bible. You know, we've said in the past, if God was going to write a book, what kind of book would it be? Well, it would be a supernatural book. Well, how would you know that it's supernatural? Because it would tell you things that would happen that no one else could tell you. It would tell you things about yourself that no one else could know. And that's what the Bible does for us. It's it's a wonderful thing. Now, it's interesting, as your pastor, as I'm looking out at you, I can tell football season started. We need to get a camera where I can show you what I'm looking at. Justin's already asleep. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So here's what I want us to do. Man, we get so excited for football, and I do too, my goodness. I spend way too much money watching football and all of that stuff. I love it. But I don't want you guys to miss what I'm about to show you from the Bible. And it's really going to take your attention. I need you to concentrate on what we're doing. Are you all with me? Will you do that for me? Because I might have to preach it like two or three times and we'd miss lunch and, and all of that. But here's the first thing that I want to say to you this morning. We win. We win. Now, there are some things that, that seem to be foreordained. So we're playing fantasy football. I'm playing uh, Chris Branham today. And it is a foregone conclusion that I'm going to lose because I have the worst team that anyone could ever choose. It, half his team could get hurt and I would lose. Okay, some things, it's just a foregone conclusion that Chris is going to win today. All right, it, it was kind of like us playing Miami yesterday. Now, it looked bad for the first couple of minutes, but was any, were any of you really worried that we were going to lose to Miami? No. No, it's a foregone conclusion. Why? The athletes are better. The third string athletes are better than that other team. And it's not that they're bad guys, it's just they can't compete. Are you all with me on this so far? When you look at what we look at today, I want you to leave here saying, we win. We win. You know, we look at the world and how dark everything is getting. Have you ever noticed that every announcer now on television that's going to do an advertisement for somebody, every spokesman, it's like they had half their testosterone removed. Yeah, right? They had testosterone reduction surgery. Testosterone reduction surgery. Testosterone. (laughs) And they all, they're they're all just, they're just like this and... They all need man camp. Now, I know I sound like Kermit the Frog. I don't have the manliest Kermit the Frog here. That's kind of the way that I, I sound. I don't have the manliest voice in the world, but I do my best. I can't imagine this world. You look out and masculinity. You either have frail men or MMA guys that are going to kill you. Those are the only men that you have out in the world. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you look out and you say, what in the world? is going on. I drive places. And people are so stupid, I think that they also had an IQ reduction surgery. Right? You come through a slowdown in traffic and you get up there and you realize all it is is stupid people driving slow. 
Now, let me give you some instructions. If you're going to drive slow, stay in the right lane. Now, how many of you are with me on this? Are you with me on this? And I think it's okay to kill those people when they don't. I, I, I think that that's justified. It's, you look around at the world and you, you say, oh, my goodness, what in the world is going on? And you watch the news and you get frustrated and you say, oh, this is terrible. I want you to leave today saying, oh, my goodness, God knew everything that was going to happen and we win. Are you all ready for some good news this morning? Well, you're going to have to wait a little while because the first part is really a bummer. Zechariah chapter 11. Let's look at verse 1. Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir trees. For the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. All right, so what is this talking about? Now, between chapter 10 and chapter 11, um, it appears that now the temple is finished and they're worshiping. Um, Scholars tell us that because of the type of language that he's using, that, that maybe this was quite a bit later. So let's just say that that's true. The work has been done, temple worship is restored, but now God, through his prophet, has a message message to Israel, and here's what it is. You're going to be destroyed. It's coming. And so when it's talking about the cedars of Lebanon, so the the cedars of Lebanon are what were used, according to 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 6, to build the temple. And so what God is telling them is the temple is going to be, this temple that you just built, it's going to be burned down. And so the other thing that I want you to see is in verse uh, 2, howl fir trees for the cedar is fallen because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage has come down. There is a voice of howling for the shepherds. What word are you noticing is repeated there? And I got to tell you, grown men, adults, they're not made to howl easily. It's going to be terrible. God is telling them it's going to be awful. And what's interesting is when you have Lebanon, that's the north. And the, the way that the Romans came and destroyed Israel in AD 70, they came from the north. All the attacks against Israel always come from the north. And then not only that, but see, Bashan, where is Bashan? We would call that the Golan Heights. So Lebanon is north. The Golan Heights are to the east. Then look at what it says in verse 3. There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled. A voice of the roaring young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. So now Jordan is down toward the south. So here's what's happening. They're being surrounded. And when this talks about the roaring of the lions, believe it or not, it used to be lush there in that Jordan area. And that's where lions would grow and they would come out and they would do their hunting. And the Bible says that all of that is going to be turned against Israel. And we're going to learn about more about that here in a minute. Look at verse 4. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the what? Of the slaughter. Feed the flock of the slaughter. That's the Messiah's job. That's what Jesus Christ is going to do. Feed the flock of the slaughter. When is that going to happen? Ultimately, that's going to happen when the Messiah returns at the end of the tribulation period. 
He's going to feed the flock of the slaughter. And we've seen that many times. Verse 5. Whose possessors, look at this, slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. So when the leaders in Israel, when when Jesus Christ is being tried, and they go to Herod, and they, they go to Pilate, and they go to these Roman rulers to try and stop their Messiah, the judgment that was coming... It, Man, don't miss this. There's no one in this room that knows the Old Testament prophecies better than those Pharisees did that killed Jesus. Did you all hear what I just said? None of us. I wish, you know, and that's kind of an indictment against us because we have the same opportunity or more than they did. But none of us understand the, the words of the Old Testament the way those Pharisees did. Most of them probably had the whole thing memorized. They knew it. They didn't care. That's what this passage is telling us. All right, let's go on. This is a pretty interesting thing. Verse 6. For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord, but lo, I will deliver the men, every one, into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of, what does it say right here? His king, and they shall smite the land and out of their hand, I will not deliver them. Keep your place here. Go to John chapter 19. Look at verse 14. John 19 and verse 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And don't forget that. Okay, it's the, pre the preparation of the what? And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. Now, is Jesus Christ the king of the Jews? Is he? Yeah. Look at what they answer. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Go back to Zechariah. Now remember, if we were there watching that, we would be thinking, This is horrible. Jesus Christ, your Messiah, your king, he's here. Don't kill him. Don't call Caesar your king. You've got Jesus Christ, the king, here. Wouldn't, don't you think that's what we would want to do if we were able to go back there? And, and it, the injustice of it would infuriate us. Again, look at Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 6. For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. But lo, I will deliver the men, every one, into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. This is a prophecy. This chapter 11, the first 14 verses, is a prophecy of what's going to happen in the land when the Messiah comes the first time. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. The leaders said, we have no king but Caesar, knowing that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, knowing that. 
And so what does God say? I'm going to give you to your king. And what happens? Rome descends on them and in AD 70 kills 1.1 million of them in the siege. And then another 500,000 of them die in the deprivation of the land after it's destroyed. Because notice what it says in the beginning of the chapter. It talks about how the trees are going to be destroyed. How the vintage, that's the old trees, are all going to be destroyed. Do you know what Rome did when they came in AD 70 and then again in 135? By 135, they said this, these people cannot be governed. And so they completely destroyed the whole nation. Completely destroyed it. They cut down every tree. Why is it desolate there? Because there's no trees. They cut them all down. They ruined it all. Who did that? Their king. God gave them over to their king. Now, I want you to see something else that happens here. Look at verse 7. Oh, but notice at the end of verse uh, 6, and they shall smite the land. No, notice what it says. He, he kills them, but they also smite the land. They destroy the land. And out of their hand, I will not deliver them. That's a frightening statement, folks. That's God saying, look, you're my people. You've had my protection. I'm taking that protection off of you. It's a horrible thing. Why? Because of their false shepherds. Ultimately, they're scattered. We know the diaspora, or the diaspora, they're scattered all around the world. Now look at verse 7. And I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. So they don't ultimately die. There are Jews that are saved, and God does feed them. He allows them to live. He could have completely wiped them out as a people. He did not choose to do that. Are you with me on that? He says, and I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. Now, this is pretty interesting. And I took unto me two staves, or two staves, the, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. So he has, we understand it as my... In Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod is used to fight. The staff with the, with the crook on the end of it, I heard somebody joke about that. At the top of every staff is a crook. How many of you at work, you feel that way, right? So yeah, the, the staff, it has the, the curved staff. And they would use that, the shepherd would use that to gently guide his sheep. That's what the staff was for. The rod... If you had a sheep that would keep running away, they would hobble it. How did they hobble it? They'd take the leg, take the rod, boom, break the leg. That's what hobbling was. That's what, that, that's what the rod was for. The staff is for comfort. The rod is for punishment and fighting. And so here in the Bible, and I'm not going to go into why they're called these things, but the one is the beauty and the other is bands. And you can study that out yourself. Let's go on. And it says in verse 3, Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Um, one guy I was reading said there are 40 different interpretations of who, in the commentators, of who these three shepherds are. 
Uh, I don't think it's quite that complicated. I think when you put this in the right context, that you have the leaders of Israel and then Pilate and Herod. And those are the people that were involved in this uh, debacle. All right. So look at verse 8 again. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. They hated God. They hated Jesus Christ. All right. Then said I, I will not feed you that that dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat everyone the flesh of another. Do you see that? Let everyone eat the flesh of another. It's a horrible thing when things are so bad that people resort to cannibalism. And that is exactly what happened in the siege of Israel. Josephus, the historian that was there, he identifies that people resorted to eating each other because there was nothing left to eat when Jerusalem was under attack. God told them, God told them 400 years ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. He told them. Let's go on. Didn't I tell you that the first part wasn't good news? How many of you are really happy and feeling joyful? Don't worry, it gets better. Look at verse 10. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people. I'm not going to comfort you anymore, he says. I'm not going to guide you anymore. And they're scattered. And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of it. I might go into it tonight. But notice that it says it was broken in that day. So it's broken here. Now we have that principle of dual fulfillment that happens. Of course, it's broken in the diaspora after Jerusalem's destroyed in AD 70. And young people, when I say the diaspora, the Jews were scattered. They no longer had a nation. They were scattered around the whole world. That's what that word means. And so not only does he do that, but man, in the tribulation, he really takes his hand off of them. And now anti, they make a, a pact with Antichrist. We're going to be looking at some of that this evening. All right. So now, verse 11 again. And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew, look at, that it was the word of the Lord. Remember I said they knew what the Bible says? So those that were poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, the Bible says, for they shall be filled. The, 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 the Bible talks about that. That's not the church. That's Israel. And so those who were not proud but were poor in spirit, who had understood the word of God, they were going to see what's going on and know. That's what the text is saying. All right? Verse 12. Now, so those were the idle shepherds. I want you to see some stuff right now. Everybody with me? Are you all awake? Everybody good? Because you don't want to miss this. You're about to see one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Bible. Remember I said we win? We say this often. I got it from another guy. But the death of Jesus Christ was not a tragedy. It was a what? Victory. But here's the word the Bible uses. It was an accomplishment. Remember, Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he meets with Moses and Elijah. 
and they discuss the death that he would accomplish. All right, we're going to look at some of that in a second, but I want you to read this text. We're going to start to see the good shepherd. Here's what the, the way that, that the Bible works in the Old Testament, the way the Jewish mind works in Jewish literature is often in the account, it gives the result and then it gives the cause. It gives the effect and then it gives the cause. God says, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to disown you. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to give you to your king. And then he's going to tell them why. That begins in verse 12. See if you notice anything here in verse 12. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Well, let's, let's see if that looks like anything else. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. Of course, keep Zechariah, but go to Matthew chapter 26. All right. So now start reading with me in verse 14. So hold Matthew 26. I want to go back to Zechariah 11 again, because sometimes you can forget things even while you're turning the pages. Go, go back to Zechariah 11. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Look at Zechariah 26. I'm sorry, Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests. And he said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Wouldn't you think that maybe if Judas had read his Bible, he might have understood that he ought not to be doing what he's doing? Now, here's what happens. Sometimes people think that Judas was predestined to do this. Because according to Zechariah chapter 11, that price of 30 pieces of silver was going to be offered, it was going to be accepted, and it was going to be paid. We know that that's going to happen. Did that have to be Judas? Look at Matthew chapter, I believe it's chapter 18. Look at verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. It's interesting. Jesus is warning Judas all through. Be careful. Be careful. See, here's what we think. We think that people are predestined to sin or predestined to righteousness. That's not the case. That is not the case in Scripture. This would have been fulfilled by someone, but it didn't have to be fulfilled through Judas. He could have stopped 
at any moment. But he went ahead to his own destruction. He went ahead to his own destruction. Go back to Zechariah. Keep, keep Matthew, because we're going to come back there. But go back to Zechariah. Let's see if the prophecy gets any more specific. And I said unto them, verse 12, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Now, now let me tell you something about the 30 pieces of silver. According to, to the book of Exodus and according to the book of Leviticus, here's what 30 pieces of silver. Now, now here, let, me, let me just step back and say this. The death of Christ was an accomplishment. He was in charge every step of the way. No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down willingly, Jesus said. He was in complete control. Although, remember, everything in the law was a picture of Jesus. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. So in the law, it says that the price of a gored servant, a servant that had been gored by an ox, was 30 pieces of silver. But not only that, the price of a female servant to buy her back was 30 pieces of silver. So here's the price that Jesus Christ was sold for. The price of a crippled, listen, female slave. What did Jesus Christ payment pay for? The bride of Christ. We are all, we are all crippled. We're handicapped sinners. All of us are. Jesus Christ, even the price that was paid for him was a picture of us. Isn't that wonderful? It's an amazing thing. Every bit of it. But now, let's see if there's anything more in it. We're in Zechariah chapter 11. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter. A goodly price that I was prized at, of, of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. What happened? Remember, Judas comes and betrays Jesus Christ. And he realizes he shouldn't have done it. So he, he, he repented of that, the Bible says. Now, he didn't repent and get saved. He said, I shouldn't do this. And he went back and tried to give the money back. And he gave it. They said, they said I shouldn't have done that. I've betrayed innocent blood. What did they say to Judas? What is that to us? What does that have to do with us? These men were cold. They were calloused. But they were very, very religious. So he threw the money back at them. But they couldn't actually use that money in the temple because it was blood money. And the law says you can't use blood money in the temple. So while they're killing their Messiah by lying and deceiving and cheating, they were holding to the letter of the law. They couldn't use that money in that place. So what did they do? They went and bought the potter's field. What was the purpose of the potter's field? The temple was responsible for burying people who died without family. They had to incur the cost of burying those people. So they bought a field in which to bury those people. And that's where that money ended up. Don't you think those Pharisees might have put two and two together with Zechariah chapter 11 into the potter's field? 
It's amazing how detailed the Bible is. God was in charge every minute. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Verse 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Notice that that's, uh, there's only one who has innocent blood, the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in, Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. And they gave them and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. God is in control every step of the way. Now, they weren't looking at Zechariah and saying, Let's fulfill this crucifixion this sacrifice. Let's fulfill this betrayal money from the Old Testament. No, God knew exactly what they were going to do. They thought that it was of their own, and Jesus knew exactly what they were going to do. Go back to Zechariah chapter 11. Look at verse 14. Then I cut asunder... Mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. What happens here? Right now in the nation of Israel, there are no tribes. There are only Jews. When Jesus Christ returns, there are going to be the 12 tribes, and he's going to reestablish all of those things. But here's the, 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 the theme of this that I want you to see is that we win. And let's just go through... We started with Judas and his betrayal. Let's look at a couple of things and we'll be done. Look with me at John chapter 13. Hey, everybody, you're going to want to open your Bibles and look at this. John chapter 13. Of course, Jesus knew before the foundation of the world who would betray him. Look at John 13. And look at verse 24. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Remember, he had said that one was going to lift up his heel against him. Now look at what it says in verse 25. And then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. So this was, he puts a piece of bread into the cup and hands it to him. 
when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, everybody look up here just for a second. I want you to see. See, you know, in we have these images of Jesus, this, this frail Jesus. He was completely in control every step of the way. And not even a little bit. He was, you do this, you do this, you do this. And, and I want you to picture that as you see this. Okay, look at the passage. Verse 27. So he hands it to Simon Peter, I mean to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. That's Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So Satan enters into Judas. I don't think Jesus is talking to Judas. I think Jesus is talking to Satan. Isn't that the construction of the sentence? Do it quickly. Why? Why did Jesus tell him to do it quickly? We looked at it all the way at the beginning of my message, like three hours ago. Listen, it was the Passover. In order to fulfill the picture that Christ had painted through the feasts, he had to be crucified on Passover. Because 1 Corinthians says, Christ our Passover. He is our Passover. He had to die. Listen, when the priests made the deal with Judas for 30 pieces of silver for him to betray Jesus, listen to what they said. Don't do it on the feast day. They didn't want to violate the feast. But who was in charge? Whatsoever thou doest, or what thou doest, do it quickly. All right? So Jesus is completely in charge of the whole thing. Now, go with me to, this is such a cool thing. Uh, John, again, chapter 18. And it's interesting. Remember Matthew, Jesus is the king of the Jews, and so there's a very Jewish flavor to it. Mark, is, it's, he's the suffering servant, and it's a, it's a very Roman understanding. Luke, he's the perfect man, and it's a very Greek, Hellenistic understanding. And in the book of John, he is the son of God. And so you only have this one in the Gospel of John, where he's revealing himself to be God. But look who's in charge here. Verse 18, when Jesus had spoken these words... He went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron and was where was a garden into the which he entered with his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Jesus then having received a band of men and officers, I'm sorry, Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Wouldn't that have been a frightening scene if you're one of Jesus' disciples? Jesus, therefore, being surprised at the event, what are those next three words? That should come upon him. Look at, did he wait for them? What are those next two words? Who's in charge? And said unto them, Whom seek ye? So here's this band of soldiers 
They're coming in. Judas is coming to betray him. And Jesus Christ gets up and says, what do you want? Who's in charge? Then look at what it says. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Look at verse 7. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? So picture this. They come. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. (laughs) They all fall backwards. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. It doesn't really give us the order right here. I wonder when in this process Judas kissed him. Interesting. Interesting. Who's in charge, folks? Do you want to see how much Jesus was in charge? Do you get the picture that Jesus is afraid and they're taking him? And Do you get that picture? No. Then look at what he says in verse 8. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. What did they do? What did they do? They let the disciples go their way. Why? Because they couldn't take them. Jesus was completely in charge every step of the way. I want you to think about this. He said, often, in Nazareth, the first time he went there to preach, he opened up the Bible, and he's, he, he's telling, he starts at Isaiah 61, and he says, today these scriptures are revealed in thine ears, and he goes to teach them about how the message is going to go to the Gentiles, so they want to kill him. Well, it wasn't his time yet, so he escaped. They tried to kill him in Judea. They tried to kill him over and over and over again, but it was not his time. His, his time had not yet come. There was a specific time and a specific day that he would reveal himself. We've looked at those prophecies. And then he would be crucified on Passover. Then he was buried, and then he rose from the dead because only he had the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. And I'm just telling you, folks, we win. We win. Do you remember what Jesus said when Peter... He was going to fight there in the garden and he went to cut that guy's head off and the guy ducked and he got his ear. Jesus says, Peter, and so what's he say to him? I could call 10 legions of angels or whatever the text says, 10,000, whatever. One, remember one killed 185,000 people in one night. It's easy. I got this. That's what Jesus was saying. I've got this. I've got this. He was in complete control. When we look at Zechariah chapter 11, and he tells that the, the nation of Israel, when you reject your Messiah, here's what's going to happen. 
You're going to claim your king, Caesar. I'm going to give him to you. Why? Because you're going to betray me for 30 pieces of silver. He says, you know what? I know this is coming. I'm still going to be born of a virgin. I'm still going to walk around for 33 years, showing myself to the people, showing God the Father to the people, living a sinless life, being tortured and beaten and hung on a cross at the appointed day, at the appointed time. The Bible says he set his face like a flint to the cross. Because that's what he came to do for you and for me. When we start to look at the world and we think, what in the world is going on? Here's what I want us to remember. We win. We win. What an amazing Savior we have. I love it. You know, we're getting ready to do man camp because God wants us to be godly, strong men. Amen? Like our Savior was. I'm just telling you, when Jesus Christ walked in and cleansed that temple, one guy, remember, he wasn't doing that stuff as God. He was doing that stuff as a man. And he made that whip and he drove thousands of people out of that place all by himself at the beginning of his ministry. And then right before his crucifixion, he did it again just so they wouldn't miss the point. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. Men, we need to be men who are like our Savior. First John says, you say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. That is, you have a purpose in your life, and that's to obey God's word and be an obedient servant to Jesus Christ. You live like a man in this world. You stand up straight. You speak the truth. You stand for the truth regardless of the consequences. We are to be like Jesus Christ. There is nothing more unmanly than compromise. We need to stand for the word of God as men in this dark world. Amen. And ladies, encourage your husbands to be that man. And then ladies, remember, God chose a lady to be the first one to testify of his resurrection. You see, you ladies, you need to stand up and speak the truth. And live without compromise in this dark generation. We have an amazing Savior who has given us the plan of the world. At the end of verse 14, there's one of those gaps. And the space between verse 14 and verse 15, that's where we live. Because of verse 15, now all of a sudden we're in the tribulation period. So from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem, what do we enter into? The church age. That's where we are. We represent Christ in this age, and one of these days soon, we're going to be taken out. Until then, folks, let's just stand. Amen? Right now, stand. Come on, stand up. Let's, let's, let's be done. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Father, thank you that you're always in charge. You gave yourself for us. The word says that over and over again.